Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to take a look at verses 4 through 7. This evening, if you don't, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you want to use a pew Bible, you'll find that passage on page 982. Philippians 4. Keep in mind what you're about to hear is the inspired and errant Word of God. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray briefly. Father in heaven, we love you. We're so delighted to be in your presence. We thank you that you have given us access to you through Jesus Christ, that we might praise your name, that we might hear from you, that your spirit might illumine us as we open the word together tonight. Would you teach us what you would have us know about you and most of all about our Lord Jesus Christ Father, we pray that uh, we would see him here in this passage, uh, that these words would drive us to love him more deeply, follow him more fully, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you know that I have a penchant for t-shirts with clever sayings on them, things like, Sarcasm is my love language, or uh, I do all my own stunts, just never intentionally. My daughter actually has that one. Those of you who know her will appreciate that. I was shopping for some new t-shirts online recently, and I came to a whole section of them dedicated to the topic of anxiety. One of them said, I came, I saw, I had anxiety, so I left. And there was another one that was designed like a superhero outfit, and it said, Anxiety Girl, able to leap to the worst possible conclusion in a single bound. I think my favorite was Anxiety, a conspiracy theory about myself, from myself. Well, it's fun to laugh at ourselves, but we all know that anxiety can be serious business. In a congregation like this one here at Redeemer, if we were to do a survey that had just one question, what keeps you up at night? We would get a long and varied list of responses around cares and concerns related to career, kids, health, marriage, finances, the state of the world, the state of the church, the state of the country, and on and on. And anxiety is nothing new. Jesus addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, he said, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or put on before if God so cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more will he care for you? Likewise, the Philippians had plenty that they could have worried about, potential disunity, Uh, They had to be able to take care of their own finances as a church and also give to other churches. Um, There was false doctrine 
all around, and they were having to, to be ready for that and be ready to respond to that. Um, the Apostle Paul as well, as you know, he's writing from prison, and Paul's been through some very trying and difficult times. And so there are a lot of things that Paul certainly would have been faced with that could have created anxiety. So Paul's not only writing by inspiration, he's writing out of personal experience. If you wanted to summarize Paul's message from the text this evening, very simply, we could put it this way. Because the Lord is at hand, worry about nothing, pray about everything, and be at peace. Because the Lord is at hand, worry about nothing, pray about everything, and be at peace. There are four main points in our sermon tonight. In in this text, they rise very naturally, naturally right out of the text. You could, call these, uh, you could call these four parts to Paul's anti-anxiety plan. And here they are. First is the presence of God, which we must be convinced of if we're to approach Him in prayer. Second would be the putting off of anxiety. Third is the pursuit of prayer. And fourth and finally would be the peace of God, which results from our approaching Him in prayer. Now understand, Paul's not providing some trite formula that's going to banish anxiety overnight. We know that our sanctification is ongoing this side of heaven, and uh, there will always be that temptation to worry. But what Paul is doing is leading us to the living God, upon whose shoulders we can place all of our burdens, no matter how heavy, no matter how intense, through the means of prayer. So the first part of Paul's anxiety, uh, anti-anxiety plan is the presence of God. Let me just say a quick word about verses 4 and 5. Jordan touched on uh, verse 4 last week, I think for some context, just to make that connection. I, I think verses 4 and 5 actually belong in the previous passage on Yodia in Syntyche. I won't take time really to defend that view here other than to say that Paul's language that he's using seems to be telling these ladies and by extension to the entire church that their behavior should be characterized by joy and gracious forbearance with one another. And if I'm right, that means that Paul begins to address the topic of anxiety in the second half of verse 5 using the phrase, the Lord is at hand. Now this phrase, as you might know, has a couple of different meanings. It can refer to time. This phrase is used to talk about the Lord's coming being imminent. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming. He's near in that sense. It can also refer more to space or proximity. The Lord is at hand. He's he's right here. He's ready to respond to His people. The Psalms use it this way. Psalm 34, 18, for example, says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Or Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on Him. So I take this phrase, the Lord is at hand, in the sense of proximity. The Lord is right here, ready to help those who trust in Him. This seems to fit best with the context of prayer and the Lord's response to His people. And this idea of the Lord with us shouldn't surprise us. We're told throughout the Scriptures that God is with His people from His presence and His fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then after the fall, through grace, in the Old Testament Levitical system with the sacrifices, 
and the priestly system and God dwelling in the midst of his people through the tent of meeting and later through the temple. Um, and then even uh, when, when Jesus comes, what is he called? Emmanuel, which means God's, God with us. And then all the way to the end of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3, where the Lord says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Through Jesus Christ, God is present with and for his people. See, this is what Paul wants the Philippians to know before he gives them any instructions on anxiety or prayer. Beloved, if you know Jesus Christ, God is for you and with you. He loves you. He is attentive to you. His face is turned toward you, the Scriptures tell us. His ears are open to your cry. When Jesus was teaching His disciples a pattern for prayer, where did He start? Our Father who is in heaven. Jesus sent us His Spirit to be with us always. And then He said what? I'll be with you even to the end of the age. I wonder how much more confidently and consistently we would pray if we would but remind ourselves that the Lord is at hand, that He's here, that He's attentive to us, that He's ready to respond. The presence of God. That's the first part of Paul's anti-anxiety plan. The second part is the putting off of anxiety. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. In the Greek, it's literally nothing be anxious about. The Greek word nothing shows up first for emphasis. It's like Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. Avoid all anxiety. Put it off. Don't engage with it. Don't entertain it. Don't practice it. It's interesting that the word, the Greek word for, um, for anxiety here can have both a positive and a negative connotation, even within this same letter. If you look down at Philippians 2.20, for example, Paul tells his readers that he has no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned, there's the word, for your welfare. Perhaps the best known negative connotation is in Matthew 6, which we've already mentioned, where Jesus says you shouldn't worry about what you will eat or drink or put on. That's more worry than it is concern, and it's even unproductive. Jesus says, and which one of you, by being anxious, same word, can add a single hour to his life span? Matthew 6, 27. So positively, legitimate care and concern for others. Negatively, anxiety and worry. Um, one is uh, um, worthwhile, productive, outward-focused. The other is worthless, unproductive, and inward-focused. And so it's clear that Paul has that second negative meaning in mind here in Philippians 4. If you want a good definition of anxiety, there, there are a couple that I've come to really appreciate. One is taking the burden of the future upon one's own shoulders. Taking the burden of the future upon one's own shoulders, because isn't that what we're often so anxious about, is what might happen, what hasn't happened yet? Um, I heard another preacher put it this way. He said, anxiety is living out the future before it ever gets here. Paul says, don't do that. 
Don't be anxious. The presence of God, the putting off of anxiety, and third, the pursuit of prayer. Thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us in the negative zone here. And this is really important to remember for the Christian life. Because the Christian life isn't just about stopping doing bad things. It's not about keeping a list of things to avoid or not just about that. It's also about pursuing good things. It's about the the positive, joyful pursuit of things like godliness and holiness and a fruitful life, a full and fruitful life, the love and welfare of our neighbor, the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't be anxious about the needs of life. Instead, do what? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you. Here in Philippians, the positive pursuit is prayer. Verse 6, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious, Paul says, but pray instead. We could say, the best way to be anxious about nothing is to pray about everything. Or as we said earlier, Because the Lord is near, worry about nothing. Pray about everything and be at peace. Notice the main verb in this clause. It's let your requests be made known. Now we're not making something known to God that he doesn't already know. God doesn't need any uh, new information. Jesus said your father knows what you need before you ask him. Paul's simply anthropomorphizing God here. He's giving him Uh, kind of a human characteristic to teach us something about prayer. Because think about it, in our earthly relationships, if we need something, what do we do? We ask for it. We let someone know that we have a need. That's what prayer is. Yes, God knows what we need before we ask Him, but He wants us to come. He invites us to come. He wants us to ask. As Pastor Jordan was talking about this morning that influential act of prayer that means that God gives us so that He can respond according to His will. So what Jesus says in Matthew 7, is it not? He kind of makes that human divine comparison. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And so like a loving Father, Jesus stands ready to give to His children out of His abundance when they ask. Because that's who He is. And ultimately, beloved, prayer works because of who God is. It's not my eloquence in prayer. It's not the frequency of my prayers. It's not the place that I pray. Not that those things aren't important. They are, and they all have their own place. But prayer works because on the other end of that prayer is the living, eternal, all-powerful God who also is my heavenly Father. On the other end of that prayer 
is a God who owns everything and who gives liberally to his beloved children out of his abundance. And he's my father through Jesus Christ. In his ears, his face is turned toward us and his ear is open to our cry. On the other end of that prayer is a God who is faithful and good and wise. And he has never ever once failed to keep his covenant promises to his children. That's the God we pursue in prayer. And that's why we need not worry. We just need to take our needs to Him. Sometimes we don't feel like praying. We wonder if God will hear our prayers because we're so sinful or because we can't find the words or whatever. Let these words from Puritan preacher Richard Sibbs encourage you. Here's what Sibbs says. A Christian complains he cannot pray. He says, oh, I am troubled with so many distracting thoughts. But has God put in your heart a desire to pray? Then He will hear the desires of His own Spirit in you. God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. These desires cry louder in His ears than your sins. Some of you people might, uh, you young people might be taking driver's education. You might be even taking it from your parents. Speaking of anxiety, uh, <laughs> when I was taking driver's ed as a kid, I remember uh, the, the, the instructor telling us what to do if your car starts to slide on the rain. I kept using this phrase, you steer into the skid, turn into the skid. And the way he explained it was, if, if your rear wheels start sliding to the left, you grab the wheel and you turn left and the car will straighten out. Or if your rear wheels are sliding to the right, you take the wheel and turn to the right and it hopefully straightens out. And I always thought that was great advice because you, it can be kind of scary when your car starts to slide in the rain. You feel like you've totally lost control. You start to panic. You don't know what to do next. But instead, you grab the wheel, you do something positive. You do something constructive, and you steer into that skid. In a sense, Paul's telling us when we're anxious, steer into the skid, to pray. Do something productive. Instead of panicking, we, we seek God in prayer. We, we steer into that skid. Okay, now I have that song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, in my head. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud because now you do too. Notice we're to make our requests known by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. See, gratitude's the normal posture of the believer toward God for all he's done for us. And that doesn't just apply to prayer. That's in everything that we do. In fact, the Bible tells us that Ingratitude, non-thankfulness, these are the marks of the unbeliever. And so we're to come and pray with thanksgiving. But you might ask, what do we give thanks for? We haven't started to pray yet. God hasn't answered our prayer yet. How do we give thanks? Well, there are several things. We could give thanks for our being welcome in the throne room of God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we come in Christ. We don't 
come in our own righteousness, our own worthiness, our own merit. We come in Christ. We come in His perfection. We come in His righteousness. We come in His goodness. And we, we, we we're welcome. The Father loves the Son. And because we're in the Son, the Father loves us. The Father welcomes His Son. And because we're in the Son, the Father welcomes us. We come in Christ. Be thankful for that. We can be thankful for the Holy Spirit who teaches us to pray when we don't have the words. That's what Romans 8 is all about, right? We can thank Him as we come for all the prayers that He's already answered. We see this in the Psalms all the time, this idea of remembrance. As God's people are coming to Him, they're recounting what He's already done, the ways He's already protected His people, the mighty works that He's done, the deliverance that He's provided. We can thank Him for the wondrous truth that the Creator of the universe is attentive to me, a mere creature. This was David's prayer. I consider the heavens and the works of your hands. What, what am I? What is man that you are mindful of Him? We can thank God for teaching me how to pray in His Word, for praying pastors, for praying deacons, for praying elders, for a praying congregation. For a God whose shoulders are infinitely broader than mine and sufficient to carry all of my burdens, no matter how heavy. For a wise and good God who will provide everything I need according to His will and in His time. These are some things we can pray before our prayers are ever answered. Thankfulness. Let your requests be made known to God with prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, the pursuit of prayer. There's one final piece to this anti-anxiety plan, and that is the peace of God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Simply put, when anxiety departs, God's peace arrives. As Christians, of course, we already have peace with God if we've trusted in Christ. We're no longer objects of His wrath. We're His beloved, adopted children. Peace here is more that, that sense of calm that comes from a realization that all things, no matter how severe, are in God's wise and powerful hands. It's a peace that comes really from a, a healthy trust in God's providence. And notice too, the text says it's a peace that passes all understanding. The natural mind doesn't understand how Christians can have peace in the midst of severe trials and difficulties. And that's because, somewhat paradoxically, it's a, it's a warlike peace. It's a military peace. He uses the language here of, of, of our hearts and minds being guarded. It's like a, a soldier standing guard over us so that our hearts and minds don't slip back into anxiety. It's supernatural peace that's found only in Jesus Christ. Isn't peace what we want? Instead of anxiety, instead of fear, instead of the crushing weight of all those what-ifs that we try to carry around all the time. Paul says, because the Lord is near, worry about nothing. Pray about everything and be at peace. You might not see that on a t-shirt, but may the Lord 
indelibly write that upon our hearts so that our first impulse will be to seek Him in prayer and not to worry. Let me leave you with a final thought. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, I hope that's one thing that worries you. Because apart from Jesus Christ, there could be no peace between sinners and a holy God. And we are all sinners. We all need the satisfaction and the righteousness of Christ given to us. Apart from Christ, there's only the looming reality of future judgment. Psalm 34 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears open to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. There is a way, the only way to have peace with God, a way to remove you from the path of His wrath and place you firmly into His love, into His favor, into His family, the church. And that is to recognize and repent of your sins and look to Jesus Christ, who lived an absolutely perfect life under the law, suffered and died on the cross for sinners, and rose in victory after the third day over sin, Satan, and death. And he will return to claim his own and judge his enemies. Scripture tells us that you can stake your life on Jesus. You can fully trust Him. You can know His love, His grace, His kindness, His forgiveness, His peace. I want you to trust Him. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we know that this side of heaven, we will never be completely free from anxiety, but Lord, as Your Spirit continues to sanctify us, Would you strengthen our faith? More and more, may our first impulse not be to heed our anxious hearts, but instead turn our eyes to heaven and give our burdens to you in prayer. Remind us always, O Lord, that you are with us and for us, that your face is turned toward us, that you stand ready to hear and answer all of our prayers according to your fatherly love and your perfect will. And as we come to you in prayer, grant us that peace in Jesus Christ that passes all understanding, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.